Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt like you've tried everything to heal from the pain of sexual abuse and yet nothing seems to really be helping? Well, one of the reasons why most people struggle to break free from the pain of past child abuse is because the techniques out there are positioned as a one-size-fits-all answer. What I want you to know is that there are actually three distinct phases on the path to recovery. And I'd love to share with you about these phases what issues you must resolve to move to the next phase, and what kinds of support you'll need in order to move forward as quickly and completely as possible. The road to recovery is much easier when you know what stage you're in and what to do next. So don't hesitate. Go to www.rachelgrantcoaching.com slash checklist and get your nine-page guide today. Now, on to our show. Welcome everyone to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and for those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007 and am the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage of Recovery from Sexual Abuse. You can visit me at rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about the Beyond Surviving program and check out the resources that are there. Now, folks, today we have with us Seth Shelley. And he is going to be here really talking with us about the power of our stories and how we can harness our stories in a journey of healing. Now, I first came across Seth by way of his TED Talk, which I'll link to here in the show notes. And I was immediately struck by just his down-home energy. For those of you who have been listening for a while, you know I'm from Oklahoma, so I love my country folks. And his, what I also really connected to was just his absolute authenticity and presence and really um, boldness. He's, uh, you know, a male survivor and is bringing his story to a stage and telling his story and breaking the silence. And, you know, we are starting to see more and more men come forward, which is something to be celebrated. And so I definitely wanted to have Seth on to tell us more about his story and share his perspective. A little bit about him. He is graduating from Summit Pacific Bible College, um, or did graduate in 2012, with a BA in religion. 
Seth has pastored in Western Canada. Oh, Canada is in the house for the past eight years. And he currently is the lead pastor at Maple Park Alliance Church in British Columbia, where his role is to provide counseling services, perform weddings and funerals, and organize events for the community. So he is actively involved in advocacy work and supporting his community, and we have so much to learn from Seth and his story today. So Seth, thank you so much for taking the time today to connect and, and be here on the show. Thanks for having me. So one thing that I, I would really like to start with is your story. If you can walk us through um, a little bit of your own experience of trauma and what that was like for you and, and uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about that part of your journey. Yeah, so I'll give you the compressed uh, version. So I grew up in Southern Ontario and it's kind of a normal childhood experience. We had lots of people in and out of the house. My, I had older brothers and they had friends and pretty much a normal childhood, you know, rode our bikes, had fun. And then my brother had an older friend and this older friend, uh, at the beginning of the summer began to start grooming me. I, I didn't know that then obviously, but I know that looking back, mm. it kind of just progressed to the point where, I was taken into the basement of our home and I was assaulted. And uh, that happened over the course of the summer. So that, that kept happening. And in the midst of that, you know, I, I didn't really know what to do. So I was just about to head into, you know, junior high age. So that's kind of the beginning of my adolescent, you know, experience. And didn't really know, we, we hadn't taken, I think we'd taken like some basic sex ed stuff in school, but mm -hmm. I had no idea about this kind of stuff. This was not something that was known to me and then furthermore it was really complicated like that's that's what I really want to convey to people is when I talk with people about their stories there's so many layers to it and it, it's never binary like good guy bad guy you know bad guy right. comes and does bad stuff it's always like this was my friend I thought you know yeah this was, my, this was my brother's friend this is happening in my house you know a safe place and that just was so confusing like how do you how do you navigate through that and then so that went on for the course of the summer. And then for whatever reasons, I'm not really exactly sure why, but it stopped. And we, we kind of, him, I think him and my brother became, they didn't, they weren't friends anymore or something like that. I don't really know. <clears throat> and then it stopped and I've never really told anybody about it, but it went on for about, you know, four or five months and then it was done. And then I thought, okay, well that's over, that's done. And, uh, Little did I know that's when, you know, the real heavy stuff started happening. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever, what, for whatever reason, our brains are, we're able to like navigate through trauma while it's happening. And then like the, the bulk share of the damage I feel like was coming out of that, you know, yeah. it's, it's done. I haven't told anybody and now I have to manage trying to lead this normal, you know, Southern Ontario, you know, big family life and mm -hmm. navigate all that stuff with this other stuff I'm trying to process and figure out. So that, that's kind of the, the basic idea of the story. And I never told anybody until, like I told bits and pieces to a few people, like dropped some hints just to see what the reaction was when I was later as a teenager. But I didn't actually fully tell anybody uh, until I was like 22, mm -hmm. 22. I just, I never, I never shared. And in fact, when I did my TED talk, it was kind of a neat experience because at that point I only told like five people. Whoa. And then, wow. And then I, and then I was like, <laughs> one of the people I told was like, Hey, there's this opportunity. You should apply for it. Mm -hmm. I, I did. And then all of a sudden now I'm like on this stage and I'm telling you know, hundreds of people and by now it's like, it's over a hundred thousand people have watched it. So it's like going from no, never telling. <laughs> yes, anybody, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah man. But like the best parts of my life now in managing with it have been since I started telling people. Like the mm -hmm. more people, the more people know, the the less I think about it, which is mm. weird. That's my encouragement to people. Like, yeah, the more people know, the more this is not normalized, but the more this is like a part of you, uh, the easier it is to deal with. And you're not living this kind of du duplicitous life where, on one side, you have all this anger and suppressed emotion and and like, I didn't understand, like part of my story is I, I never, first off, I didn't know about sexual assault or rape. Like I, it wasn't something I knew about. Right. And then secondly, it was something that happened to girls. Right. So then 
that was that was another like level of complexity because the only time you ever hear about it it's happening to a female so mm-hmm. and, and it was happening from a bad guy right right and this was happening from somebody that you know was my my friend i thought or you know was part of our part of the community so it's like what's going on right this guy didn't break into my house in the middle of the night like this is like two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon so yeah yeah yeah. so thank you so much for breaking the silence and sharing your story here as well and um, you know there's there are a couple of things that really stand out to me that you shared there the first is this piece that um, so often children are socialized to look out for the bad guy I really appreciated that point that you made in your TED talk as well that we're, we're programmed, we're raised to look for the stranger in the car, you know, all of that. But we know statistically that somewhere in the 90 percentile um, is where, you know, abuse is occurring within a family or a friend circle, a community circle, that it's not just a, a random stranger. Um, and that that is the, the lower percentage of those sorts of um, assaults. Of course, they happen. Um, and And so we are caught off guard and we are confused by that duality of someone who is a friend or hey we hang around with we kick around we have good times with and then we're assaulted or abused and i can really appreciate that layer of complexity the other thing that really stands out to me from what you shared is how telling your story has actually created a space of healing for you. That the more you talk about it or the more you share it, and, um, and I really love that word duplicity, that you know, so many of us as survivors end up pretending, right? We're walking through life pretending. And when we're in that space, you know, it works for a while, but internally there's conflict because we know we're not our authentic self with the people in our lives and ultimately that leads to more shame more depression disconnection and these sorts of things so i just really appreciate you for being a model of how telling your story in a big ass way oh my gosh (laughs) you know not everyone has to take a ted talk stage but you know man that's just really a powerful illustration of how our stories um, are not actually meant to be hidden, but there's power in putting them out there and sharing them. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things I live by, like in my, my life, I, I'm a pastor, so I have this spiritual faith aspect. And one of the things I see reflected in what I do for a living is this idea of redemption, so that mm-hmm. suffering can have a redemptive arc. And so one of the guys I've listened to before is, is coined it as saying, like, turn your prison into a platform. You know, you mm-hmm. use that use that thing as a redemptive tool. And so that was kind of the motivator for me to apply for this is like, yeah, I've had this happen, but I know I'm not now I know I'm not the only one. Like now mm-hmm. I'm old enough, I'm not trained to know that it's not just me. And in talking with one of my friends, he said, Look, there's not a lot of voices out there that are saying this, but it's a reality for you know, in Canada the statistics are one in six males. Yeah. Which and that's probably drastically underreported. Agreed. Yeah. And so one in six. So I, I play hockey. And so like the visual that I made for myself, because I'm a visual person was that's like a, that's like if we have everyone on the ice and everyone on the bench, there's like five or six guys that have mm. not had the same experience as me. And right. that's, you know, it's not so lonely when you start thinking of it that way. And then that was the motivator that, you know, I, I got, I got to talk about this. And then yeah. sure enough, I talked about it. And some of the guys I played hockey with were like, Hey man, same thing happened to me when I was a kid. Like, thanks for, wow. thanks for you know, speaking up. And, and so then that just started this, like, cycle of people, for whatever reason, I don't want to say I'm the poster boy, but, you know, it was a safe place for people to come to. And guys mm-hmm. in their, like, 50s and 60s and, you know, some guys in their, like, 70s and 80s coming in and saying, hey, this happened to me as well. Yeah. You know, thanks for talking about it because I felt the same way. I felt like this is just a me problem, you know? Yes. So, 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's such an important piece that you're touching on there. Statistically, we know that men are um, more likely to come forward and break the silence in their 50s and 60s because there is so much stigma um, for men. Not that there isn't for women, but there are some layers and pieces there that men are experiencing that women are not. Or what I might also add to that is that women have surpassed, right? They've, they've had their time and now they're kind of unleashed and open and men are, I think, on their way towards that, but we still have more work to do. And, um, and those statistics, we're starting to see that, um, that actually the statistic for women is one in three. And that actually, as more and more data comes in and more and more men are speaking up, that these statistics are starting to equalize mm -hmm. and they're almost like head to head even. And, and so we know that so many men out here in our world have experienced trauma and abuse and are being, are silenced about this. One of the things that really stood out to me from your story is, you know, you, you did these little like dipping your toe in to try to talk a little bit here, kind of testing the waters, but you never fully came forward with your experience until you were, were 22. And um, in your TED Talk, one of the things that you mentioned was kind of the um, generational um, socialization that you were surrounded by, right? Like being a tough Shelly, you know, and are you a man or are you a mouse? And real men don't get raped. And, and I'd love for us to talk a little bit more about the impact that those kinds of messages have on boys um, who are experiencing trauma and how that silences them and adds more layers of complexity for them to, to be able to come forward. Could you say a little more about that? Yeah, for sure. I, like, I want to preface this by saying like, I love my family and I, I love my grandfather, yes. the role model for me, right? And I don't think that, and I, I say it in my talk, like I think they don't do it on purpose. Of course. Communities have a way of setting the stage that uh, we just, we can't live on and they don't know what they're doing. And, and so like for my grandfather, he's an immigrant and, you know, he, he was a survivor in his family. His siblings died and they starved and, you know, they, they immigrated to Canada and he was a, a strong, tough man. And so this idea of, you know, man or mouse is like, it's a survival tactic. Like right. you, have, you have to be strong to survive. And then there's this weird inversion that like somehow if you admit that you, are weak in some area. Now I say if you're weak, I don't think people that are abused are weak. That's one of the stigmas, right? That if yeah. you are assaulted, it's because you're weak, you're, you're a prey animal, like you're easy to be preyed mm, upon. Right. Which I, I just reject that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's true, but that's part of that mindset of like, you know, the strong survive and the weak die and the weak get preyed upon. And so to live up to my family legacy and, and, you know, be a good Shelly was to be uh, strong, not to be a prey animal, you know, to be, to be a strong guy, to be, you know, the guy that nobody wants to pick a fight with. And, and I don't think I was, you know, yeah, like, as I'm trying to formulate this, I guess it's that, that community aspect was, I'm from a, a very large immigrant community, historically, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of immigrant farmers, a lot of homesteaders. And so that definitely was, was part of it. And that was a reality. Like if you weren't strong, you would not yeah. make it. Sure. Would die. So that kind of gets passed on as sort of this like, you know, proud thing that our family's big and we're here and we've been here for a while. So like clearly we are, clearly we're the strong ones. Like clearly we're not mice. And so it's still one of my favorite stories. Like my grandfather caught these mice in a maple syrup bin when I was a little kid and we brought them back in a bucket. <laughs> Some people like, and then he would let them go in the yard. Like, okay. And, and the cats would run around and, and get them and eat them. Sure. And so it was this idea of like, and he wouldn't say in that moment, like, don't be a mouse. But like, you hear this kind of stuff later. It was like, illustrative. My goodness. Yeah. Like, I'm not a, I don't want to be a mouse. Like, I don't want to get caught and killed. Like, yeah. I don't like, I want to be the one that's, you know. So, and then that was just kind of played out through our, our community and not just from my family. And uh, yeah, just that strong, you know you know, be, be a man. And so to then all of a sudden think of yourself as like, you know, we use the term like predators, like sexual predators. Mm -hmm. It's like for them to be the predator, I have to be the prey. Right. And yeah. now like, I I'm being preyed upon. I am that little mouse. Or at least that's the connection you make. Right. Of course. Yeah. And makes I mean, little sense. Part of the stigma is, and I think this is wrong, obviously, but 
a, a lot of people, even in my own brain, like I have to combat myself when I think about this even now, like I have to always be challenging these narratives that are pushed that like it's men get assaulted, but it's, you know, it's weak men. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, and we, we have a mental picture of the man that we think would be assaulted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you yeah. ask people in a police lineup to like pick the guy and they would probably say, well, it's going to be that smaller, smaller in stature, you know, that's going to be the guy who's preyed upon because yeah. he can't, he can't help himself because there's that idea that like a man should be able to fight his way out of his way out of it. Real man, he'd be able to use his physicality to, to get out of that situation. And then we just forget the whole aspect of grooming. Exactly. A guy jumping you in an alley, you know, like that's a different scenario. This is somebody that's been grooming you and and preparing Mm. you and preying on you. So that was part of it, you know, Hmm. so for young guys to like out themselves, if I say that way, or to come out and say, sure. look, I'm assaulted. I think part of it, at least for me and some of the other guys I've talked to, it's the fear that I'm going to be lumped into that category of like weak, you know, small stature, you know, and I don't even know if that guy really even exists, but you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've created that. Yeah. We have stereotypes of men. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to do that. So, you know, that's not me. And I, I even had, when I was doing my Ted talk, one of the guys that was part of the behind the scenes thing when we were going through and like coaching us, he even said, and I, I don't think he meant it in a, in a, in a bad way. And, but he's like, you know, I just never would have pictured, you know, a guy your size, like with tattoos and a beard. Like I would never picture you're the kind of yeah. guy that it's like, yeah, that's the problem. That like, is you the problem. Don't picture it would be someone like me. So I get up there and I talk and people are like, well, is that, is that true? Like, did it really happen? Or yes, I've had some horrible things leveled at me during that process of like, you know, if you wanted to, you could have stopped it. Like, look at the size of you. you right. Know, you, yeah. And so that's part of the fear. I think that like we prop up this idea and it's this part might need to be edited out because I haven't really formulated this thought yet, but this is what <laughs> I, this is what I see. Like there's an inversion. Bring it, Seth. Bring it. Yeah. There's an inversion so that we look at, and I, I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is the present reality that I see and it's changing and I'm thankful that it's changing, especially as a, a dad and as a daughter. Mm. Uh, we, we already expect societally women to be weak, mm. right? That's just the way we look at them. So it's empowering for them to come forward and be strong. Interesting. Right? Okay. I'm with you. We expect them to be strong. Yep. And somehow it's humiliating for them to become weak. So like yep. for someone who's weak to be like come out and, Fight the fight the system, you know, buck the yes. trend. You're like, I'm coming, you there. wow, they're so strong. But for a man, it's like, well, you're you're already supposed to be strong. So now you're being vulnerable. Now you're weak. Yes. Yeah. Like I have had, you know, anecdotally, so many. I don't have the stats ever, but like I've had so many guys reach out to me, who that's the that's the barrier they don't want to cross. They'll tell mm-hmm. me, they'll tell a few people, but like I've had, you know, police officers, firefighters, yes. these guys, they they don't want to talk about it because like, what will happen? How will I then be seen? It's like yeah. there's this weird inversion where it's like we just we're not ready to accept that it's empowering for men. For and men. Women. Yes, it's yes, that. yes. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a really brilliant point. I'm not editing that out. I think that's really powerful <laughs> that the socialization of women is that you are, you know, the, the lesser sex. You know, these are our long standing historical messaging that you're right. Like there's a lot that's changing in the world about how women are initially positioned. But absolutely, with that overall social construct that women is the weaker or lesser sex, then when they use their voice or they speak up or they fight back, yeah, it's seen as this empowering, reclaiming, challenging. And then I think you're so on point there that men are socialized to be strong, to fight. And when you have an experience like trauma, what is so often stepped over is that all of us, regardless of gender, the very first response we have is freeze. Mm -hmm. And it might be a very long freeze or it might be a, a minimal freeze. But in that moment of freezing, your system is trying to decide what's the best course of action here. And so men are expected to just immediately fight back, but that goes absolutely against physiology, the neuroscience of trauma. Like you literally can't, not to mention all the other pieces that you talked about, the grooming, 
all of those, all of that element that's in there as well. And so this message, this idea that you should have fought back, you could have fought back, guys like you don't get abused or get, it really, when you were sharing that part of your story, I had this um, idea, I'd really love to do like a photo collage of men who have yeah. experienced trauma. We need a visual representation. People also often hold that people of color, men of color are not being traumatized. So that's why when, um, what was the football player's name? Is it Terry Schaefer? I'm not going to remember it. Um, when he came forward, that was a big fucking deal because not only was he a man, not only was he, you know, a very popular, you know, celebrity, but he was also a black man. So we need to change the narrative about who experiences mm -hmm. trauma. And so being here and sharing your story is definitely a part of that. Well, in my experience, without exception, all the people mm -hmm. that have reached out to me, this is the other component that I think gets glossed over uh, really quickly, or just thrown in there like a stat, like, oh, that's just a little like, but I don't think people understand how steeped the trauma is in that. Without exception, this is anecdotal evidence, but every sure. man that's come to me, it's been a relative or a friend. Like right. it's never been somebody they haven't had relationship with. So that adds like such a layer of complexity and confusion and like it just adds to it all. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, For sure. and, that, and that's like the whole idea of like, why didn't you fight back? Like, like I said, like, cause I wasn't getting jumped in an alley. Like, yeah, there's no sense of I'm in a need to fight here. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm confused as to why you think, Someone that I've known for years that I would all of a sudden just like instinctively Snap fight. on. Yeah. I've been groomed. And that's something I've had to realize through my adult life. Like I'm 31 now. Mm. And there's times where I'm still like, oh, yeah, like this is this is part of, you know, when someone shares their story, I'm just like, yeah, that happened to me too. Like we were convinced that, you know, this person that we're sharing or whatever, like I, I was convinced that, you know, this wasn't wrong, that mm -hmm. this wasn't no, this wasn't bad. People just didn't understand that, you know, well, and here's the other part, and this might get squeamish for people that don't, uh, don't have never experienced sexual trauma. Like the really confusing part is that the sexual component of it, like yeah. there is that, I, there is that idea of sex is seen as pleasuring and there's this, you know, and yeah. so there's, whole. Oh, that's another like really confusing component of it that your yeah. body responds to things that are happening yes. and then they're convinced that wealthy, you know? Right. Yeah. Wrong. This is, um, oh, something happened, you know? Yeah. Sorry. To, sorry to jump in there. Seth, but yeah, I think I'm so glad you're bringing this aspect forward because this is so critical for male survivors to really understand about their experience that 99% of the time male survivors will have an erection during the abuse, during the trauma, because your body is built to respond to sexual touch. And the female body responds as well. There are a few differences in dynamics, um, but because, you know, that physiological reaction of an erection is so clear and arousal is so clear and poignant for a man, then it does. It gets all very confusing. This is painful. This is hurting. And... I'm experiencing a, a level of pleasure or reactivity to the touch in a way that I don't necessarily want to be, but I can't stop my body. And yeah, so the predatory aspect of it is that's leveraged against you. Correct. Oh, you must yeah. like this. See, you're, yeah. I've had to yeah. talk that with so many guys like you, you didn't like it. And it's okay that you were told you did mm -hmm. because that's, that's part of the grooming process too. Like, and right. the other part of the whole storytelling thing, like I wish there was, I'm thankful for platforms like this where we can just talk openly because so often it's, it's so like, we just can't get past the react, like the re we can't get into the real stuff and not, it's mm -hmm. fake stuff. You know what I mean? Like we, we only get to like step three when we need to be talking about like all this other stuff and yeah. we don't, because it makes people uncomfortable. And I appreciate that. Some people have never experienced it and they don't want to talk about it to that extent. But like, we need to have, I talk about it in my, my TED talk about like safe places where there's allowed to be vulnerability where we yeah. can talk about these things that this is what people are wrestling with. And, you know, a lot of times people can get past in my experience. Again, they can understand they were groomed. They can understand that it was bad, but they really struggle with that reactivity that they had. Mm -hmm. Like why, why couldn't I, you know, I don't want to be crass. But like why did, why didn't my penis just not work? Right. Yeah. If I didn't like it, why did I get an erection? Right. 
that's not yeah. how it works. Like that's you got to get past that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really, really critical. The the female version of that is messaging of like, oh, you know, your 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 vagina wouldn't get wet if you weren't enjoying it, if you didn't want it, right? That's how women are. <laughs> That's the female version of that messaging. Yeah. So it it exists on both sides here, and um and we have to talk about that because that absolutely is the way that we get um stuck in shame stuck in this was my fault I must have wanted it all of those false beliefs and lies that you're absolutely right perpetrators abusers will then use you know to convince us especially when you think about being little right when you're a little person and you barely know your body anyway and how it's supposed to work and do and respond and then this person comes in and begins to tell you about your body by way of violation and manipulation. And so we have to unravel all of that so we can reclaim our bodies, our desire, our sexuality. Yeah. There's that huge component of gullibility. Like mm. you're, you're young, you're vulnerable, and you yeah. never, no one's ever told you this stuff yet. Right. And I think that's why, you know, well, predators prey on those kind of people because they don't have the information yet. Right. Like I have three kids. Uh, from four till nine, and we're pretty open because we awesome. want, like, we want them to know that, like, if someone tells you something, you have something to compare it to. Like, that's actually not true. Like, yeah. this is true. Yeah. And so, for me, in that experience, and this isn't a fault on my parents. I think this is something that, as a culture and society, we're we're becoming more, you know, uh, we're understanding the importance of this better. But it, I didn't know any of this stuff. So, like, how do I know this isn't even not true? Like this person's telling me these things. Yeah. I mean, he's older than me. My parents trust him. My brother trusts him. I mean, I guess I should trust him too. Like, and that's the other, like, yeah. I, had nothing, I had nothing to contrast it against. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, like mm-hmm. I've, never, I've never heard about rape before. Right. Uh, the only time I'd ever heard about, you know, anybody having to be careful about keeping, you know, their privates covered up was girls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to go too far, but like, you know, boys run around and run around. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whip it out wherever. Um, (laughs) You know, yes, totally, totally. I agree with that. But like a boy, it's like, yeah. yeah. Be modest. Yes, exactly. Exactly. At the um, Courage Conference that I was just speaking at, um, the, one of the speakers there said something that's really stayed with me, which is, that when we're talking to children about body consciousness, body safety, that we often say, you know, if anyone touches you in a way that you don't like, you know, you need to tell me. Um, they, these parts of your body are, are safe, are, are yours, are private. Nobody should touch you there unless you want them to. But one of the speakers said something that I thought was really, really smart, that we also need to talk about the touch that feels good. Mm-hmm. It because if somebody it's not just if somebody touches you and you don't like it or it doesn't feel good because as we've been talking about sometimes it feels good but it's still inappropriate and it's still in an area of your body so the way that she languages that is these are the parts of your body that should not be touched by anyone and even if it feels good you're not supposed to be being touched there mm-hmm. so you need to let me know and talk with me about that I thought that was so good yeah that is good because that's that fits into the whole you know bad guy, bad touch, and then, mm-hmm. like, but this isn't a bad guy, and this isn't a bad touch. Yeah. But, you know, like, this isn't, this doesn't feel bad, it doesn't look bad. So, in that idea of, like, yeah, we do need to just have these open, honest, you know, conversations yeah. about it. Yeah. So, one thing that I'm really curious about is is how you sharing your story has maybe impacted or changed your family culture. What do you notice about that, Seth, with either, you know, your most immediate, you know, circle, which is you, you and your wife and your kids, to your parents, to cousins, uncles, aunts. I'm, I'm really curious if you've noticed any change in the dialogue or the, or the conversations that are being had in your family as a whole. Well, I think we're just moving towards being more honest. Mm. Um, the name, in the sake of honesty, like I still haven't had these conversations with um, some of my family members in, in, in like me and them sitting down and talking about it because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, that, 
like I don't want people to get the illusion that like, oh, as soon as you start talking about it, it's all gravy, you know, like you'll be able to tell mm. everyone. Mm. Great point. Process. It's a journey. Um, but I've noticed that like honesty is just, it's it's become more of the, the culture and we try and foster that in our kids. Um, but also just, it challenges, like the thought you have in your brain is different. And I talk about this, you know, when I talk with people, like, don't just get lost in your thoughts, like write it out. Like that's one of the first steps that I took. I was in Helena, Montana. I was firefighting. We had some time off and I went to the dollar store or whatever and I bought a journal and my, my girlfriend is my wife now. She's like, you should just write it out. You don't have to tell me, but write it out. So I just wrote, like I filled this whole thing and I just got my thoughts that I was lost on. I was able to like put it into more condensed and, and then challenge those thoughts. And like with just by doing it by accident, I didn't know that was going to happen. But being like, wait, that's so bogus. Like, why did I believe that? Mm, like, mm-hmm. oh my God. And I mean, the term I should have known better. I think people often are like, oh gosh, well, yeah. But it is, it is kind of one of those feelings where it's like, how did I not know? And then the step from writing to then talking and speaking it out is is another component where like that's the biggest culture thing in our family that I've noticed and with my family is like, let's talk about it. And let's not talk about it from a place of this is objectively true. Let's talk about this and then explore that stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, let's have these conversations. And awesome. so part of the, the dynamic for me, like one of the stories that I have where that kind of became real for me, and I, I never had connected these things. Um, my brothers would go for bike rides and I would stay home with the guy and he would, you know, it would happen. See, it's so uncomfortable even just to talk about it now. I like, get it. But I would get abused. Yeah. And I would I would just wanted to go bike riding. So then you fast forward however many years, I'm trying to teach my daughter to how to how to ride a bike. And I was losing my mind. Like I was yeah. so angry. And I actually I threw her bike against the wall. Like I was mm. so mad. I said, what the heck is going on? And so we started talking. And then as we're talking, I start realizing and connecting all these dots and challenging yeah. all these things that I've been carrying now for like you know 12 plus years and and I think that's one of the things we've just embraced like let's just talk about it let's find a space and a time and let's explore it and if you change the story this is the important part I want people to to pick up on because you often get leveled that you're a liar yeah you're not not remembering correctly or oh look how foggy your memory is I have my story so many times every time I tell it if I was to sit down in a counseling thing or tough, like it will change because yeah. I remember things like this is a really blurry part of my brain right. because that's what my brain has done. It's yeah. blocked out. It's I've, I've remembered things that like last year that I was like, Oh yeah, like that's, you know, this is how this happened and that's what happened. And so like you have to find people that are going to be accepting and understand. Like when I first started telling my story, people said, how old were you? And I would answer, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old I was when it happened. People are like, how can you not know how old you were? It's like, cause I just have, I've hidden that part of my brain. Like I Correct. have taken those and I've, I've buried them so deep. I don't even know. I couldn't tell you. And then it's become so much a part of every experience I've ever had, mm-hmm. even prior to the abuse, that it's just infused itself into everything. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take me a while to start picking out the pieces and separating. Yeah. And that's got to find people that are willing to have you change the story. And I know that's that's so good. That's lying. It's like, well, no, you got to figure this out and you have to process it verbally, I think. And, and have people that are willing to sort through the pieces to be like, actually, no, that happened, you know, before I was abused, that's a different memory. And this is a, something that happened during the abuse. And this is something that happened after the abuse. But at the beginning, it was just all, it was everything. Mm -hmm. This is a really important point. Yeah, this is really, really important because, first of all, just as you were sharing that, I began to think of, you know, kind of think, naming our stories as an evolving narrative rather than here is my story. (laughs) Here is my story today, I think might be a healthier, stronger way for survivors of trauma to frame that because this is my story of today, a year from now, this is my story. 
because exactly as our nervous system heals, um, as our brain heals, uh, certain things will come forward. We might just even have a moment or an event that then helps us draw a connection and yeah. put these pieces together. And we know from the neuroscience of trauma that memories are often blank, non-chronological. You know, we're continuing to try to educate all sorts of people about that um, so they understand that it isn't lying. It isn't, you know, lying by omission either. It is exactly that, that our story evolves and changes over time. And so we absolutely have to be, um, I think, compassionate with ourselves about that. Mm -hmm. um, and then have people in our lives who um, who get that as well and understand that that is how it's going to unfold. Well, and here's, here's a great, here's part of the healing component of that for me personally. Mm. I think this could be relevant to other people. I thought I was a really angry, short-tempered person. Like I went through my teen years and my early adulthood thinking that I was a time bomb. I was just angry and nobody liked me and I was short tempered. And if you knew me like 10 years ago, you'd probably say all of these things are true. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that's who I was. Like, this is just my personality. I'm short. Right. Oh, yeah. And I'll blow up and I'll lose my temper and I'll over whatever. Like, I'll throw a bike at a wall, right? Like mm -hmm. And then the healing component was like, as I started to pick out these pieces and separate, it's like, actually, no, I'm not an angry person. I have not dealt with this stuff that's making yes. me. Like, mm -hmm. I am not an angry person. Like, I am a lot different now. And that's the, the biggest notice, you know, difference in our family. My wife would probably attest to this, is I'm just a different person now. Yeah. And I'm a different person. It's like, I have pulled these things out. I've separated the, these things and I deal with them as they come up mm -hmm. in their own thing. It's not me. It's not the yeah. entirety of my life. And that's one thing that I love trying to convey to victims. Like, this does not define you. This is not yes. Like you do not have to live your life sticking to the script of being a victim and sticking to the script. Preach! Oh, the preacher's coming. Bring him, Seth. Bring him. <laughs> and I think in my TED talk, you're, you get to write your own script. Like you're not a character yeah. in the story. Like you're the narrator. So you want to be a better person, or you want to not be angry? Like start, start exploring this trauma. Start pulling it out. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. It sucks. You're gonna cry a lot. You're gonna, you're gonna have moments where you just want to give up and you want to quit. Like that's the other part of my story. Like I, I just came to a point where like I couldn't do it. Like I had suicidal thoughts in my teenage years. Like I just could not do this. And uh, as I pulled these things apart and pulled them out and separated them, it's like, I'm actually a good person. I think, you know, I got a lot of work to do. Don't get me wrong, but I, I'm not the, the sum total of my life is not that I'm a, a, a rape victim. Correct. Yeah. And that's the whole prison into a platform. Like mm -hmm. I'm not going to anymore. That's you know, right. That's right. And that's you. You don't have to live there. Like you, that's something that happened. It's real and I get it. And it sucks. Mm -hmm. But you get to work through that. And there's people that want to work through it with you. And you'll yeah. discover things about yourself that like, hey, I thought I was impatient my whole life. I'm actually decently patient. I thought I was just an angry guy that would blow up at the drop of a hat. No, I just had a lot of emotions and memories that I've never actually categorized. Processed. Yeah. And sneak up. And I tell people that all the time. Like, if you don't deal with this stuff, you don't get a say when it pops up. At, Ooh, least, now, so at true. least now, I get to choose yes. when I'm impacted by it. So here's, here's a real, real like down to earth, you know, as simple as it gets. The guy that abused me had red hair. Mm. All, all three of my kids have red hair. Oh, wow. Yay, red-headed babies. Trigger, 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 trigger. Yeah, and now yep. I choose. But that's not going to bother me because I know what it is. Yeah. So I've explored it. I've found it. I've rooted it out. I know what it is. And if you don't do that, you don't get a say. It just that's shows right. up whenever and however and, and at whatever level it's going to come out. Exactly. Tossing a kid's bike at a wall because my five-year-old didn't know how to pedal. And in some way, people think if someone was watching, they'd say, wow, that guy was just crazy. Like, he's so mm. mad at the water. I'm yeah. not really I had to explore that. I wasn't mad at my daughter. I was envious that my daughter's riding a bike and I wish right. I could go back in time. She had access to that freedom that you wanted. I wanted to be on the bike rides with my brother, not at yeah. home. So, and it's like, oh, now I know that. So now I see a bike and I'm like, not this time, you know. Mm -hmm. That's right. I got That's right. Number, so 
Oh my gosh. I just thank you so much for those stories and for sharing that. Um, as someone who was labeled as an angry redhead and labeled herself that way, very similarly, you know, we come to think about ourselves through the lens of trauma and these are the symptoms of trauma, not our character. And in the beyond surviving world, when we're talking about connecting to your authentic self, that's really at the end of the day what we mean, that you are in charge of your triggers, your reactions, your responses, and you're able to separate and segregate. This is a trigger from back then. This is associated to that moment, that historical piece. This has nothing to do with right now. And we start to reclaim who we are. We reclaim joy. We let go of those definitions of ourselves. And then we're able to take advantage of opportunities, right? If you were in that trigger, you might not have said yes to my invitation to be on it. That's a redhead. I don't want to be on her show. <laughs> right? And we would have missed out on this brilliant, wonderful, beautiful conversation that we've had today. So thank you by just illustration of being here, how we can take um, ownership of our lives and do not have to be at the mercy of these triggers and traumas. Mm-hmm. Mm, awesome. Yeah. For all listeners, you know, for whatever stage you're in, like one of the things I, I believe, uh, part of my faith, and I just believe it as a person too, we have such an aversion to suffering. And mm. so we, we've structured our life and our culture, society to avoid and to numb suffering. Yeah. And honestly, like you have to embrace that suffering to get past the suffering. That, that's how I see it. Like it's going to suck. For those of mm-hmm. you who haven't done these steps yet, it is not easy to write it out. It is not easy to talk about it. It's going to bring up a lot of stuff. It's going to be hard. It's going to feel like, why am I doing this? This is like compounding all of these feelings. It's feeling so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. But like in a month, in two months, in three months, in two years, like it, it does get, it does alleviate it. You know, you've embraced the suffering, you've called it out, you've owned it, you see it, and you can work through it as opposed to just, you know, covering it up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and for those people that have never been, abused and are listening that's one of the questions i get like well i've never i don't i've never experienced it what can i do just be a safe person you know like i said be be a safe place Uh, if you suspect that it's happened to somebody that you know don't ignore that suspicion you know find a tactful way to bring up that conversation to have that stuff like i wish that more people because you know this Mm, is the one thing that bothers me in my in my story is that when it came out, people were like, I always knew something was up. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the hell is that? Yeah. Oof. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I had my suspicions that something happened. I, I should have talked to you about it. It's like, yeah, you should have. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I'm not mad at them. I get it. We don't practice those things. We don't like difficult conversations. We don't know how to do them. Yeah. And I don't even know if there's any training on that. Like, maybe mm. you, you can link people to that. But, like, yeah. we got to be better at that. Yeah, because I agree. We're always, we're always working from the, the you know, the post-traumatic side. Like, mm-hmm. the trauma's happened. Let's deal with it. And we, if we can get closer to the moment of it happening, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Then, I actually think we'll start to be able to go the other way and avoid it. We'll Correct. Be able to work avoidance and, and getting away from it. Yeah. Because we have a system right now uh, that is just great for predators. Yeah. It's we so don't true. We don't talk to people who have yeah. been abused, and like it is, it's a great, you know, I, I say that it's a weird thing to say, right? But it's we've created a great system for predatory people. Mm-hmm. It's true. Silence causes the trauma really to continue. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That silence. That 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 silence piece. It's the vacuum in which trauma gets to grow and spread. And so, you know, absolutely, you know, a very basic, simple question that people can ask is just, is there any experience you've had in your life that felt like a trauma? That was, Mm -hmm. that's one easy way. I mean, have you, you can be very pointed. Have you ever experienced childhood trauma? You don't have to say specifically, but if you open kind of a general conversation about trauma and abuse, um, then, you know, it, it just creates a little door. And a lot of times people will say no, <laughs> no. Mm-mm. And then, you know, maybe a year later or six months later, you go, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, with the, some of the reactions I see you having or some of the things that you say to me, if you've ever experienced childhood abuse, I think that if I were going to say anything is 
the key that point that I'd want to reiterate, which is to keep asking. Yeah. Especially if it's children, especially if it's a child. Mm -hmm. If you have any suspicion at all to keep creating those conversations and those opportunities to come forward. Oh man, I could talk to you for hours, Seth, you know? <laughs> I just feel like we could go more and more and more. There's so many beautiful layers and and things that we have yet to explore. But we've um I've really just so enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you for your perspective, your intention, um, your generosity. And um, I know people can come and connect with you at SethShelley.com. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and anything else that you want um, our listeners to know um, as we start to wrap up today? I mean, you'll see it on my website. It's kind of maybe it's a little cheesy, but I, I just like letting people know that their story matters, that it's important. Yeah. Um, we live in such a... We love singular narratives. I mean that like we love blockbuster films. We'll mm. watch the same, the same narrative movie like a hundred times. They can keep coming out. And so in that, in that atmosphere, we kind of lose sight of that our story has any meaning or any value. Mm. And, uh, you know, your story matters. It's important. You're not just a cog in the wheel. You know, you're a unique individual with a unique experience. And that's what we need. We need people to embrace the fact that they're valuable members of our, our, our societal family. Um, and that's, you know, to bring it full circle back to the very beginning, that question of like that idea of masculinity, that would have been challenged if more men, more people, more women, more teenagers embraced their own identity and their own story. Then we don't have to follow that narrative of, well, that's what this is and that's what this is. It's like, hey, here's who I am, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm complex and I'm a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. So your story matters and uh, you don't have to talk to everybody, but you should talk to somebody. That's what mm. I think. Cheers, cheers and cheers to that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Seth, you've been such a joy to have on the show today. Thank you so very much. Everybody listening, please pop over to SethShelley.com. Check out his website and the resources and the beautiful work that he's doing. Um, I'll also link to the TED Talk so we can get that number even up again, over 100,000. We'll keep adding to it. And uh, for all of you who are here listening today, just thank you so much for being here, for following the podcast. Um, please pop over to rachelgrantcoaching.com as well and check out the resources that are available to you. Subscribe to our podcast uh, and leave us a note or comment. And uh, please come back again next time. And because we have so much more to share with you. And until then, take good care of you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.